You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Have you always wanted to hear the hockey stories told from the press box? For your premier source of hockey prospect news from across the AHL, NCAA, Canadian Hockey League, and international leagues, this is your all-access pass to The Press Zone, a hockey podcast packed with news, analysis, interviews, and entertainment featured on AHLReport.com. Your hosts, Amy Johnson and Rick Stevens, are experienced, credentialed hockey reporters bringing you stories built from strong connections throughout the hockey community and from inside rinks all across North America. Welcome to The Press Zone. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of the Press Zone podcast right here on the AHL Report, part of Rocket Sports Media and a proud affiliate of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're so glad that you're here with us today on this fine first day of summer believe it or not. Uh, I'm your host for the show. My name is Amy Johnson. I'm also the lead correspondent over at AHLReport.com. And I'm joined in the studio each and every week by my wonderful co-host. He's our president, founder, and editor-in-chief. His name is Rick Stevens. How are you celebrating the first day of summer? Happy summer to you. Yes. And and happy happy uh, Father's Day to all the Father's Day. There, you know, there are leftover celebrations happening. It's, you know... You can make it a week-long thing. Of course. Why not? It's always room to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, happy belated fa- uh, Father's Day to you as well. Um, it's hard to believe it's like next week's the last week in June. Where's the summer going? And then the draft. And then free agency. And then World Juniors gets tossed in there randomly. Memorial Cup is running. Yeah. Off and running last night. Calder Cup Finals, two games in. Stanley Cup Stanley Final, Cup. Uh-huh. three games in. It's a busy time. It is. But we've got um, we've got a lot to cover today. We've got a lot to bring to you today. Um, we're going to talk about the Laval Rocket. In case you haven't heard, their season came to an abrupt close uh, after Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. So... Uh, we're just going to give you uh, a, a quick description of, of how that happened. Uh, but the bulk of what we want to spend the time on today is uh, Laval then wasted no, times in, no time in having their exit interview day. Uh, media day took a, a, a good portion of the afternoon uh, late last week. Uh, of course, we were there on the call. And uh, so we've got a lot of audio to bring you today. Uh, we're going to look at some some reactions and some things said during exit interviews and kind of just examine what's next for Laval. Um, you know, take a moment to acknowledge the run that they went on this season, and then it's now time to start thinking about this the year ahead. So lots of great audio to bring you today from a ton of players and Coach Jayafool. Uh, and then in our second segment, uh, give you a brief update on how the Calder Cup final is going. Uh, the Coachella Valley Firebirds have announced their first head coach in franchise history. It's a name you're going to recognize. 
and as well, we want to get you caught up on a pretty exciting interview uh, that I was pleased to do with uh, Rick over on the Canadians Connection podcast last week. So lots to bring you today, uh, and we certainly hope that you enjoy it. Excited to get started. Yes. Um, So as we talked about last week on the show, I mean, it was coming down to the wire in the Eastern Conference final Springfield and Laval from from puck drop in game one. They were alternating wins. Uh, Springfield, of course, taking the first win of the series and they went back and forth, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Uh, throughout the entire series, which took us to Game 7 on Wednesday night. Winner take all, everything else, uh, just forget about everything else. It comes down to one game. Uh, And it turned out to be a Charlie Lindgren versus Caden Primo uh, goaltending matchup, which, of course, was, you know, everyone perked up with that. Um, And really, Rick, this was a game where... um, from the beginning, after we had talked about um, on last week's show, uh, both between us and with and when Patrick Williams joined us for the AHL Hot Stove, uh, we talked about how in Game Six last Monday night, when the Springfield Thunderbirds had an opportunity to, to close out the game, close out the series in six games, they came out looking completely lifeless and and just not motivated. Well, um, something certainly flipped a switch by game seven because uh, they came out of the gate ready to play and ready to take the series. That game six was such an anomaly that, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to explain because the other, um, the rest of the series, the other six games, for the most part, um, they had a theme And, and yes, we went back and forth and back and forth in terms of wins, but um, you know, it was, it was, that's one thing about seven game series. You, it sorts out who's the better team and Springfield was clearly the better team. They were dominating, uh, play at five on five. Uh, and, and we said, my goodness, if they ever get their power play going and they hadn't, uh, they were oh four thirty something and Lavelle, uh, was playing with fire. Uh, they were taking an inordinate number of penalties and it wasn't, it wasn't rookies, uh, being exposed to, you know, um, being new to, to play off. It was the veterans that were just taking bad penalty after bad penalty. Uh, Alex Belzeal, uh, leading the way, mm-hmm. uh, Danik Martell as well. And in game seven, Again, it was it was the veterans, Xavier Willette, Brandon Gignac, Alex Belzeal again um, taking the penalties. And this time uh, Springfield got their power play on track uh, with two power play goals, one uh, within the first seven minutes uh, of the start of the game. That power play goal by Matthew Pekka in the first period, that kind of set the tone. This was... This wasn't game six. This this wasn't an apathetic uh, Springfield team. And they scored the power play goal. They set the tone and, and Laval was never in this game. No, they really weren't. Uh, and and as you say, getting on the, the, the board not once but twice on the power play was really a catalyst for that team. Uh, they already had showed earlier in the series that if they play with a lead, they play like a completely different team. To play with a lead and also finally break through on the power play a couple of times, they were virtually Im- unstoppable at that point. Uh, Charlie Lindgren was making some uh, phenomenal 
uh, crazy highly highlight reel saves. Uh, it's it's it was probably the game in the series where we saw a goaltender. Um, I don't want to say he stole one, no, um, but he certainly stood on his head uh, and and managed to not only he and the Springfield Thunderbirds took that ser- uh, took the series, took the game. It was a shutout for Charlie Lingren, which. Uh, uh, now that that's a statement, right? And <laughs> and um, Springfield was uh, in control uh, going into the third period. They had a three nothing lead, um, but Lavelle, that was you know their last press. They outshot uh, Springfield thirteen to five in the final frame, and Charlie Lindgren was spectacular, and um, a a big statement by Charlie Lindgren. Uh, you know you can whatever kind of analogy you want, but, but mentor versus the student. And it was the mentor all day long. Uh, Lindgren had a great series. He did. Um, he was very strong uh, throughout. Springfield had the better goaltending uh, throughout the series. And um, yeah, obviously, um, you know, sad for Laval. They went as far as they could. Um, a team that was riding emotion uh, on those short five game series, um, and, um, and just ran out of, well, ran out of talent really, uh, in the, in the, uh, in the final series. Not being, not having, um, not having reliable goal scorers show up every single time. Yes. There were certainly guys who, uh, put up a decent amount of points in the playoffs. There were guys who were scoring, uh, semi-regularly, but when you look at other teams uh, in the Eastern Conference, when you look at teams in the West, it's just not the same category. So um, certainly much for the team to be proud of, uh, to go all the way, I mean, to to make the, the playoffs for the first time as the Laval Rocket franchise is one thing. Then to win your first playoff series uh under as the AHL affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens uh, in five years, uh, excuse me, in in ten in eleven years, it's been since two thousand eleven that they did that, is another is another real um, accomplishment. But to make it all the way to Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Final is is really something to hang your hat on. Uh, no shame in in what they did. It was a very deep run. Um, they were almost there just came up a little short they they just they finally they finally came up against a, a group that was able to uh grind on them as much as they kind of ground their way through the playoffs so congratulations to the Laval Rocket for making it as far as they did uh know that it's a it's a bittersweet ending um but it's certainly as as we as we heard from a lot of players in in the exit interviews many of them said um you know the memories from this season and this postseason run are going to stick with these guys for a really long time. Um, and so I guess we could, we should, we can talk about that a bit. It, it was a very fast turnaround. That game was on Wednesday night last week. Uh, so they drove uh, overnight back to Quebec uh, and exit interviews started the next, well, Exit interviews didn't start until about two o'clock the next afternoon, but obviously they were they were there reported before that uh, to begin uh, their own internal exit interviews and so forth. So they didn't waste any time at all. Um, the first kind of grouping of 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 guys that we want to hear from before we completely let go of of the the tremendous uh, 
postseason run that that Laval went on. Want to hear from some of the guys on on why they thought this team in particular had what it had what it took to go as deep as they did. We'll start with the captain Xavier Willette, uh talking about why he felt this team was so special this year. I think that group had a lot of character. Uh, we had uh, a good mix of veteran and and young guys, and uh, it was a really really hard working team that we had. And uh, the you know the kids really stepped up in playoffs, and uh, the veterans showed the way. It was just a really a uh, good mix, a really good group of players. Yeah, and I don't I don't know that that's really all that true because uh, the young players uh, there were a few of them, very very few of them, um, few prospects, and uh, they they weren't getting the primary opportunities. Um, uh, um, up in the lineup uh, or, or uh, on the special teams play. Um, so perhaps it, it was from a, uh, a, a player who wants a lot of minutes, who wants to be out there. Uh, the mix was right for him personally, um, but maybe not right when you're an AHL team developing prospects. Now, um, Jesse Ullinen is one of those prospects that is uh, certainly um, high on the list of guys who could who could potentially contend for a roster spot in the fall. Uh, you could see him perhaps making a transition. He played uh, some NHL games this year. Um, there were times in the playoffs where, like you said, Rick, he wasn't necessarily getting... Uh, the positioning that maybe someone of his caliber and and his upside should be getting. He he dropped midway through the uh, the playoffs from being the first line winger to a third line winger. Um, he was still used on the power play, um, but but yes, there he was one of those instances where some adjustments were made that weren't necessarily. Uh, maybe beneficial to the prospects, but he also had a had a really positive outlook on the group of, of, of guys who were assembled in that dressing room and, and what they did together. And, and this is what Jesse Ullinen thought of why that dressing room had success this year. Yeah, we had a very, very good year. Like uh, all the, like the team was uh, like, uh, all the guys were, were so nice. And uh, like, I think we had a good group of like, uh, like veteran players and then younger players and uh, like all the, like uh, old, older players are almost like uh, big brothers and they help with all the all the stuff like uh, on the ice, but also like off the ice. And I think uh, it was a very good group and uh, we had a lot of fun this year. He's always positive. <laughs> he he's, is. <laughs> uh, he's the, the, the ultimate team guy and, and the most humble guy on the, on the team. Uh, he'll never um, not only not talk about it, but, but he doesn't uh, accept praise very easily. And, um, but we know that he is uh, the most NHL-ready prospect uh, on the team. Um, he plays an NHL game. He thinks an NA- at NHL speed. Um, his, his skating, his shot, um, his uh, defensive awareness. Um, Ullinen is, is just um, the one player out of, out of uh, that roster who has a real shot at a roster position uh, come the fall. Absolutely. And I, and I had to chuckle. I, I liked that he, you know, that he said they were kind of like older brothers to us. And, and that was, you know, it's just, he has a way with words and, and, and it was just a very, it was a very sweet kind of thing for him to say. Um, now, Corey Schooneman is, is an interesting character on this um, 
roster because Corey Schoenman was the one guy who went through paper transactions at the trade deadline to be eligible to come back from the Habs um, and play for Laval after the Canadians NHL season was over. Uh, So he truly did split time this year between the NHL and the AHL. Um, And so he brings a, he brings a a bit of a different perspective for his experience. You know, he's on an NHL, uh, NHL two-way contract, um, but has that, that veteran presence as well to be able to bring some leadership on the back end with a defenseman and so forth. Uh, And here's what, uh, some of what he had to say in his first reactions about coming back to Laval and going on this deep run with them after after leaving the Habs at the end of the season, uh, some of the things he had to say were kind of interesting. Um, whenever you go that far, obviously every year, you're, you're never going to be with that same group of guys again. Um, so when you go through all the battles that we did, especially in the postseason, um, the battles that we went through, the stress that we were put under, the games that we played, um, you know, it it brings you a lot closer within that group. So I think it's just looking back at the group that we had, it's a really good group, really good chemistry on and off the ice. And um, just knowing that, you know, it's not going to be the same next year, you know, ever again. So. And that's, it happens in all team sports. It happens at the NHL level that there's roster turnover, but particularly in the AHL, mm-hmm. uh, there's always huge roster turnover, uh, and that's absolutely normal. And for the Montreal Canadiens, given the the um, the lack of prospects that they had in Laval this year, and that they're expected to have a, a large influx of prospects next year, there is going to be the next year's team. Um, something's wrong if if next year's team looks anything like this year's team. That's right. Um, and and you'll hear from JF Wool uh, a little later in the segment, you know, acknowledging we're going to have more prospects coming in uh, next year and in future years. Uh, and yeah, so there's, you know, it's funny, you you heard throughout uh, the exit interviews, plenty of guys saying, hey, I'm I'd be I'd be all good with with coming back. You know, the, the Gabriel Bork said I'd sign a two year contract right now. Um, Louis Belpedio said I, I certainly would come back. There are lots of guys ready to come back. Um, and and sure, some of them might, but there's going to be there's going to be a lot who don't. Um, Xavier Wellett said that he's not really sure what his plan is going to be. He wants he does want to I, I, he alluded to wanting to try to uh, make another try at the NHL again. Um, so who knows uh, what he and his agent will come to or, or their talks. The other recurring theme with a lot of the players is that all of them basically said they they chose to stay exceptionally focused on the playoffs and not start discussions with their agents about renewing contracts until after the playoffs were done. So uh, expect now that those conversations will start happening. But really, in terms of next steps, as you said, Rick, you know, Ulanin is probably the guy uh, on this team as a prospect who has a has a real shot at making uh, the NHL cut out, out of training camp. He, by the way, uh, didn't finish the series. He was out with injury, but did say at, at exit day that he was feeling much better. Um, he's going to be going back to Finland uh, to train over the summer, uh, skate with Miro Heiskanen. Uh, he said that he said he's one of the best guys out there and he just makes you better just playing against him, you know, in, in the summertime. And so he's going to be looking at, at improving his strength uh, and, and his vision in the game and so forth. Um, 
J.F. Wool was talked about, uh, was asked about, you know, okay, there's going to be, you know, development on the ice for the youth that's going to come in. But what about uh, also developing leadership at this level in some of the younger prospects? Because that's going to be, you know, if there are not as many veterans next year, uh, there's going to need to be holes filled in the leadership uh, in other areas. And so he starts, uh, he answers that uh, uh, pretty well, um, starting with uh, his his thoughts on uh, one of the young leaders he had this year, which was uh, Raphael Harvey Pinard, who did wear an A this year. He, uh, he showed some leadership on the ice, the way he uh, he competes all the time and he, he brings it uh, every shift. And, you know, he's not the most vocal person, but, uh, you know, I think for him to, to have an A and, and to grow his game and his leadership skills was a big thing. Uh, a guy like uh, Fairbrother, who's a young player, but really well liked in the, in the locker room, encourages players, uh, hard to play against, you know, showed some leadership as a, you know, as a young player. And, uh, you know, those are all good things for the continuity of, uh, of the Laval Rocket. We have a lot, lot of draft picks coming up in the Montreal Canes organization, so there's going to be a lot of young players here uh, in the in the near future. Uh, just like Springfield, Springfield had uh, eight draft picks in their in their lineup. We only we only had three or four. So, uh, you know, I think it's a it's a good thing to grow the culture uh, within and have those young guys show some leadership as a plus. Yeah. So we remember um, Jeff said. Uh, Development ends at uh, with the end of the regular season, and um, we kind of challenged uh, that thinking at that point. And you see that for Springfield and for other teams, uh, that's certainly not the case. Uh, those eight uh, draft prospects were key in the Springfield win, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the, the on the the Laval side uh, less so. And I think. Um, you know, JF got really comfortable um, in the the veterans that he relied, and it's easy to fall into that trap uh, to rely on on the veterans, and and this is going to take some uh, skill and negotiation, and and um, uh, over the summer, um, sometimes a GM has to take um, these these toys away from their coaches. Uh, because otherwise they'll just continue to use them. And in, in this case, you know, um, putting an A on Raphael Harvey Pinard doesn't um, doesn't mean he's he's becoming a leader. We saw him uh, defer uh, a lot to Alex Belzeal, and and there's not the best role model. Uh, he's uh, and um, JF said that that Harvey Pinard's not very vocal. In the room, well, that's probably because there are guys who are very vocal. There are the Belzeals, there are the Martels, there are the Willettes you talked about, um, who who take up a lot of the oxygen in the the um, in the room, and it doesn't allow for the emergence of of new leaders, of young leaders. Uh, these young prospects have to learn how to, to win together. I've said this before, win together, lose together, struggle together, and lead together. Uh, and, and space has to be made. You've got to leave a bit of a vacuum there. Um, sure, have, have guys in who uh, are able to um, uh, 
give support, give mentorship, but know their role and don't have to hog the spotlight. Uh, and unfortunately, there's we can name a lot of those kind of guys. Cedric Paquette, another one, um, who needs ice time, who needs the spotlight, who needs uh, that space. And that's not the prime environment for uh, prospects. And you, you, as as a coach and as a, uh, a general manager uh, looking over this uh, this group, you got to make space for your for your um, prospects to develop. I was uh, pleased to hear him say that Gianni Fairbrother emerged to him as a mm-hmm. as a good young leader. Uh, I liked hearing that he's well liked in the room and that he encourages others. Um, those are great characteristics and and good to hear. Keep in mind, Gianni Fairbrother uh, was out with injury for two months, and so uh, if you've got a guy like that who instead of being kind of down in the dumps about the fact that he's he's missing a good chunk of the end of the regular season and the beginning of the playoffs and in, and instead is uh, being mature and encouraging others and being a, a really helpful voice in the room that's a really great indication that Gianni Fairbrother's got a got a a positive leadership role uh, ahead of him which is really great so in terms of next steps uh you know we mentioned Corey Schooneman is kind of a unique uh, one of the 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 unique players just in the fact that he did split time this year he's on a he's on an NHL contract so heard from him a little bit on what he felt um his season really culminated in and and where he sees it moving forward yeah it was good um you know every year you want to take steps and you know not only development but uh you know your progression stuff like that and uh I think I did this year um I think I progressed uh, defensively. Um, I think I played well for for most of the year, and um, like you said, I, I played in the NHL, so um, you know that's a huge step up for me. And uh, you know, to get the NHL contract last year, and then now this year to play in the NHL is is a step up. So um, I think I'm trending in the right direction, and uh, going to this this summer and, and build on that, and uh, be better next year. It was um, a wonderful opportunity for Corey Schooneman. Um, you know, he's not all that far removed, the 2019-20 season, from being an, an ECHL player. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to split the games and having more than 20 games, uh, his first uh, NHL opportunity. And, and, and sure, it, there, was, there were uh, misfortunes on the Canadian side. There was injuries. There was covid uh, that gave him that opportunity. And uh, do you want a Corey Schooneman on a, on a, you know, a playoff bound team? Probably not, but it gave him an opportunity. He turned some heads, uh, you know, folks who had uh, never talked about Corey Schooneman didn't know who he was, uh, were, were talking and he didn't look out of uh, terribly out of place uh, when he was in the NHL. Of course, the Canadians uh, were not, a strong team, um, last overall in the NHL. So he was able to get some experience, some really valuable experience, and and that'll help him in his um, in his AHL career. And it was really nice to have him back in the fold. Um, you know, not necessarily he wasn't putting up um, big numbers in the playoffs for Laval, but uh, he was part of that. You know, we we heard coach uh, opposition coach after opposition coach say that uh, that was a really tough defense to play against the experience that Lavelle had. Uh, they were, for me, they, my money, they were the best uh, defensive core 
uh, in the playoffs uh, because of, of their experience. And partly that was gleaned from Schooneman spending some time with the Canadians. Absolutely. And he's he's one name that uh, I wouldn't mind. You know, the, the back end is going to start getting a little crowded uh, with all the defensive prospects coming through. Uh, but I think uh, if, you know, if a Corey Schooneman was still around at the Laval level, I think he could provide some great mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about Raphael Harvey-Pinard. Of course, uh, he's the he's the name, you know, the exciting, every, you know, everyone likes to say that he's a miniature Brendan Gallagher, uh, all those types of things. They get very excited if, he, if he's, you know, wearing a, a Canadian sweater and so forth. Um as Rick said at at the earlier in the segment, and I agree, uh, Ulanin is probably first in line for being close to to making the cut in the NHL. Uh, Harvey Pennard might get a call up next year, but I don't. He's not. He's not making the team out of camp. Um, but I asked Harvey Pennard at exit interviews. Um, okay, so evaluate yourself after the season. What's Tell me where you your game has grown this season and tell me what you need to work on this summer. Uh, and to his credit, he was pretty specific in both uh, in both areas. Uh, I think this year uh, I, I, I was better like offensively. I think I created a, l- a little bit more uh, chance around the net, putting m- more puck on nets too. Uh, I think my skating is better than it was too. Still, I need to work on it because uh, our key today is very fast. So, uh, for sure, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put emphasis on uh, on that during the summer. I'm gonna try to uh, just get faster, work on my uh, first three steps too, and uh, that's uh, that's gonna be my that's gonna be my mindset for the the summer. Playing a year like that, uh, full uh, pro year, uh, great experience this year is gonna help for for my future and uh, like. Every every year we know that uh, the organization is looking for us, watching us uh, game after game and playoff too. Uh, we know they're there; they're looking at us. So uh, it's uh, it was a big year for me, and I think it's gonna help me uh, for next year. But I mean, you, you go to the camp and uh, you start from zero, and you you have to be ready to uh, to make your own uh, your own place. Of course, I know what I want for uh, for next year. I want to uh, make my place with the, the Montreal Canadiens. That's going to be my goal, and I'm going to work very hard this summer for that. So th- that's a good goal to have. Um, and, and he's right uh, as far as the things that he has to work on. You know, what's going to work against him is, is his size, um, his strength, uh, but most of all, his skating. He, his skating was way below average. Uh, and it's something that he's improved and and maybe just a, an AHL average, uh, maybe a little under, uh, a little below AHL average. And of course, uh, that's not that's not going to cut it in the NHL. Um, you know, comparing him to Brandon Gallagher, he has he, he doesn't Harvey Pernard doesn't have the the hands uh, that Brandon Gallagher the 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 offensive uh, uh, ability that that Gallagher had, uh, if you're comparing him at the same age, uh, and he, he, he doesn't have the scoring skills of, of Brandon Gallagher, but they both have the tenacity, the work yeah. ethic, and, um, and, and the willingness uh, to go to dirty areas. And, and that's, what, that's what keeps uh, Harvey Pernard in, in the, 
good graces of the coaching staff. They love his his compete level, uh, but he's got a lot of work to do um, um, in the off season. And uh, but I'm I'm pretty confident that he's the kind of guy that uh, looks like he's ready to do the work. I, I agree with you there, and and you know his teammates, his coaches, they all say he works very hard. Uh, his work ethic is very high. He you know he just loves the game. He loves to try to keep learning and keep growing. And so I think those are all good things for Harvey Pinard. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's going to be a big summer for him. I'm glad to know, I'm glad to hear that he, he knows the areas he needs to improve on. I think he'll continue to do that. I think training camp will be a good experience from, for him. Uh, he'll get some good feedback and then be back in Laval. And as we've talked about with, with Caden Primo would like to see him really dominate for the better part of a season. And maybe he'll get a couple of call-ups here and there if there's an injury or something like that. Um, but, uh, you know, let's, let's take a look at, see what he can do in the AHL one more season and, and see if there is a lot of growth there. And what's the rush? I mean, he's a seventh round pick, uh, 201st overall. And this was his first full, uh, pro season. He had a a COVID shortened season was his, his rookie year, just played 30, 36 games. Um, so this was this past year was really his as as he said his first full season. Um, so he, he's got he's got a lot of time. To be patient. A lot of time to develop. Speaking of be patient, um, this is a topic that we've talked about with Caden Primo for what feels like forever now, <laughs> and we're going to continue to preach the just be patient with Caden Primo, which. Um, quite frankly, might be a little bit harder of a pill for for fans to swallow after uh, his praises have been sung from the rooftops throughout this postseason, seeing as he was the starter for all except for the very first uh, postseason game for the Laval Rocket. Uh, that's not to say that Primo, did, and we talked about this extensively last week, so I'm not going to you know deep dive into it, but he played admirably he played confidently which is really the key difference here is that Caden Primo seemed to get his confidence back uh were there still some issues in his in his gameplay in the postseason absolutely uh did he also have some of his big moment saves absolutely um the consistency was starting to get there a a little bit more um but there's still a lot of work to do and as we have said over and over and over and over again Caden Primo has still not played a, a full season in the AHL where he dominates at this level. Once he does that, then then let's start talking about moving forward uh, beyond that. Um, so, and and we're not the only ones who are saying that either. Um, you know, JF Wool in, in exit interviews talked to, you know, was was complimentary of Primo, was said he was impressed with him, said he was proud of him for for finding his confidence again. But also mentioned he thinks it would be good uh, to see Caden uh, back in the AHL again. Uh, his goaltending partner, Kevin Polan, even said he was very impressed um, with with how he performed under pressure in the postseason. But Kevin Polan even said, you know, I think part of that was because he finally was able to come back to the rocket and have stability and just focus on the rocket. And he said, I think that he needs another season in the AHL to just focus on the rocket. Um, All of that is very sound advice. Um, 
when Primo was asked about it, he also, you can hear that that he is starting to kind of listen to his advisement a bit more. And he even acknowledged that having stability at the end of the season after coming back from the Habs was, was a very big key uh, portion of him regaining his confidence. Being able to get into a rhythm um, and uh, be in one spot and just, just really try to focus in on, on getting back to um, playing a certain way. Um, playing my game uh, was huge, and um, I think that was the biggest uh, reason for, for the confidence was being able to have that um, stability in, in uh situation. I don't want to put any expectations. Um, it's definitely a, the biggest summer um, of my career. Uh, and I know that going into it. So, um, yeah, I don't want to put any expectations on, on where I would prefer to be, where where I want to be. Um, just going to uh, give it my all this summer and um, show up to camp uh, and just uh, hope for the best then. So that's better. It's getting better. <laughs> it's getting better. <laughs> it's like uh, he wants to say something, but he knows he shouldn't say something. Um, and, 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 you know, Caden Primo, a lot of, a lot of his, his challenges have been between the ears. Um, and, uh, and, and that, that has some history to it. Um, but his, his, what he experienced during the playoffs, um, the stability and consistency came from the guys in front of him, especially his defense. As I said, they were unbelievable and, and a JF talks about um, when when asked when is asked about Caden uh, talks about the defense and how good they were how good they were in just locking things down and uh, clearing away rebounds and and blocking shots and getting sticks in lanes and all of those kinds of things. So he knows um, that um, you know it's for Caden. I don't think he realizes. Um, he had a bit of a luxury, um, in, in that you don't have necessarily that experience, uh, that caliber of defensemen, because all AHL teams are trying to integrate prospects, and those include defensive prospects. Uh, didn't it wasn't the case for Lavelle, as you said, Gianni Fairbrother missed a good portion of the season, uh, and when he came in in the playoffs, he came in as the seventh defenseman when he did uh, play. Um, so that consistency was experienced defensemen in, in front of them, um, you know, many of them whom had uh, uh, NHL experience. Absolutely. And, and Caden has, he has a lot of work to do yet. Uh, he had a really, really, really tough season. Um, and, and that included, you know, one win in 12 appearances in with the Canadians and he did not look good at all. Um, and, but for Laval, um, you know, close to goals against of three, um, you know, a, a save percentage just above uh, 900, uh, it wasn't a good season. And he lost, uh, you know, uh, the um, opportunity to start the playoffs to Kevin Poulin uh, because of that season uh, that he ended up gaining, gaining back. But Last season, um, you know, because he was struggling, it was kind of an even split of of games between Poulin and and Caden Primo. What he needs is a season untouched. He needs to remain in in Laval, have two thirds of the starts, 
and dominate. That's what we want to see. And um, and listen, this is, um, I think this has been said by Stefan Wade and, and other goalie experts, you know, maybe he's not going to be uh, an NHL starter. Maybe, maybe he'll get to the NHL and maybe he'll be um, a, a serviceable backup and that's okay. Uh, I think w- w- these expectations have to be stopped, place, uh, stop being placed on him and uh, have maybe something a little bit more realistic uh, for his abilities. Absolutely. And you mentioned how a lot of uh, a lot of his his troubles this year also came from the mental side of the game. And and yes, the roller coaster that he went through this year and some really uh, devastating performances when he was in the NHL and and having to recover from that and the constant getting called up and getting sent back down and getting called up and not performing well. Um, the Caden Primo who spoke to us at the end of last week's uh, certainly seems to have experienced some growth in that aspect of his game as well and was was pretty open to talking about um, understanding where some of those troubles for him on the mental side of the game came from and, and how he's ready to tackle them going forward. I never wish or hope to go through something like that, but um, when you do go through it, it... Uh, it makes you stronger and, and you're grateful for the, uh, experience. So I'm a way better, uh, goalie, uh, way better mentally, uh, stronger, uh, than I was at the beginning of the year. And, um, so I'm grateful for the, the experience. I think it goes back to the expectations. Um, I had expectations, uh, of myself and, and, um, how I wanted to, um, play and and how I thought I should be playing and wasn't meeting those per se and then um kind of started to spiral out of control didn't manage it very well uh so I think uh I'm definitely better equipped to manage it moving forward so similar to what I had said uh, after the last uh, um, audio clip um, that that it's the expectations the expectations of him from the outside but also his own expectations have to be recalibrated um, you know he 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 expected to be in in a certain place he expected to play a certain way without necessarily um, uh, doing the work and 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 having the ability to uh, to get there uh, that's all been reset. And, um, as he said, he didn't react too well to that. It, it must've been very difficult for him, but if he's going to, to progress at all, that, that was a necessary step, uh, in his development. He does credit, uh, his goaltending coach, Marco Marciano, uh, with, uh, a lot of the assistance that he had there. Uh, in fact, just going to shift gears a little bit in, in, in some of the audio from exit interviews, because let's remember that not only is it now a time to reflect on how the prospects uh, did this past season, it's also a chance to reflect on what was a mostly brand new coaching staff behind the Laval Rocket bench this past season. Marco Marciano, the only uh, returning coaching uh, member from the previous regime, and frankly, the previous regime before the previous regime. Um, you know, Ull and LaPerriere and uh, Bookberger, all brand new uh, coaches with the franchise this year, working together for the first time. Um, so, before we get to the new coaches, let's just hear one last thing from Caden Primo on, 
you know, this this might give you a little insight on why Marco Marciano keeps sticking around uh, despite other head coaching changes because of the quality of work that he does with the Montreal Canadiens goaltending prospects. Marco's one of the best human beings I've ever met. Um, yeah, he's helped me tremendously uh, right away when I got drafted uh, at the development camps. And then obviously been fortunate to work with him here in Laval. Um, yeah, he, he's helped me so much. He, I've had a goalie coach growing up, um, who is like a second dad to me and, uh, he's amazing as well. But, uh, Marco has helped me so much in, in just, uh, getting out of the box, thinking outside the box. Um, and, uh, I'm a way better, uh, goalie because of Marco. Um, so I owe him so much gratitude um really appreciative of marco and and everything that um he's helped me with on and off the ice marco we know and mm-hmm. uh, i'd second marco is a wonderful human being yes. he's just uh, a wonderful guy to talk to um about goaltending for sure but about hockey about life um he is uh, he's uh, very impressive and uh and and the the part that maybe folks don't know is uh, Caden Primo slipped. Uh, he was upset. Uh, you know, he has the Primo name. Uh, he has a, a famous father, famous uncle, um, and and he slipped uh, to the seventh round of the the draft, 199th overall. He was selected in 2017, and and why? Uh, because he had the tag. His his. Um, College coaches called him uncoachable. He had the uncoachable tag, and uh, he had an attitude issue. He really did. Um, and for Marco to get through to him, uh, to to reach that person inside, and for them to connect, and 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 then help the goaltending part afterwards, uh, that's that's an incredible job, and it's. Um, it's it's one of the reasons that uh, Marco's so valuable. And and, and let me say, um, a credit to uh, Vinny Riondo, who mm-hmm. who realized these qualities in Marco, brought him into the organization, uh, mentored him a little bit, um, and uh, and 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 Vincent Riondo, of course, still with the organization, still a goaltending um, a scout um, and a scout for Russia, but. Um, you know, what a, what a great move by him to bring Marco into the Montreal Canadiens organization. Absolutely. And, uh, it was a a nice testament by Primo there of just how much, uh, Marciano has helped him. Um, but okay. So that leaves the other three coaches, the head coach and, and, and the two assistant coaches, uh, Jesse Ullinen had some really positive things to say, uh, coming off of his first season, uh, and keep in mind, you know, Ullinen's one of those who, who played under Joel Bouchard last year. So he had a great, uh, pretty good reaction to, uh, a first full season under a new regime of coaching. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, our, uh, like co- coaching staff was really good uh, for me uh, personally this year, and uh, like I think it was just good that uh, like uh, we watched a lot of video and uh, like uh, small details that uh, uh, could uh, help help my game. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it was very good. And also uh, for the team, like we were we were getting uh, I think we were getting better during the season all the time. So 
that that says that uh, like we, uh, we practiced the right things and uh, like the coaches were talking about the right things that could uh, improve our game. So yeah, I'm very happy. So uh, keep in mind that um, that he has a a, a famous father, uh, Yasu Ulanen's <laughs> father, played in the NHL. Um, and has coached. So he has a, a, a bit of a unique perspective on uh, the coaching staff. He knows what it's it it's, would be like to uh, be coached, uh, what makes a good coach, what makes a good motivator. Um, and he was very positive about the coaching staff there. He was. Um, you mentioned how good the defense was for this team, um, and that would be uh, thanks to Kelly Bookberger and Corey Schooneman basically uh, really took took the opportunity to sing Kelly Bookberger's praises uh, and and really solidify how key he was in really creating a solid defensive core. You know, Kelly did a great job this year with us, with the D core managing, managing 7D some games in the playoffs too. So um, he did a great job. The whole coaching staff did a great job. I tip my hat to them and uh, they came together for, for an exceptional first year. So, um, you know, kudos to them. And, um, you know, I look forward to what they have next year. Okay. I don't get this at all. I, I, I really don't. You have Martin LaPerriere, yeah. son of Jacques LaPerriere, one of uh-huh. the greatest defensive players, defensive defensemen and defensive coaches of all time. You have, uh, Kelly Buckberger, um, who was a, a right winger for the high-flying Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. And it's Kelly Buckberger, who is a brilliant def- a coach of the defensemen. And, cha- and, and LaPerrier handles the forwards. And the Yeah, uh, the penalty kill. Um, the penalty kill yeah. But um, no, it, it, whatever, they have uh, a lot of experience between them. But uh, credit to Kelly Buckberger. We, we also... Uh, we both watched uh, Kelly Buckberger's uh, coaching session yeah. on coaching defense, but it was great. Um, he's he's obviously embraced the role uh, and is very very good at it. Very very good at it. Um, really, just some great uh, great player feedback. Uh, I think that's really key. Uh, that that there were nothing but positive things from the players being said about their new coaches this year. Uh, and when, when asked about it, JF Wool also chimed in and, and uh, basically really confirmed that they were really a team that was a unified front behind the bench and, and that helped their success. Yeah, no, we were really unified. It was a fun year. Uh, you know, we, we uh, everybody's worked in their lower area really well. Uh, we work well together. I think Marco did a tremendous job with uh, with Primo and Bucky with the uh, with the defensemen and then the power play, which we had some ups and downs, but we always found a way to you know to sneak in those uh, those goal those important goals, and the penalty kill obviously was good all year and especially in the playoffs. Martin Lapera did an excellent job with that, and uh, we all get along, and uh, it's, uh, it was a it was a fun uh, fun journey for uh, for our staff. It's a little odd that the Montreal Canadiens last year um, had the least experience on the the bench, the least experienced coaching staff in the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know uh, exactly. I'd have to count up the years, but I would say that group behind the Laval bench was had to be one of the most experienced in the mm-hmm. American Hockey League. I would agree with you there. Um, all of the, all three of them. I mean, this is. 
JFO was asked um, in French, so I don't have the clip and I don't have the exact translation, but he was asked in French uh, if um, his former head coach, I believe that's Jay Woodcroft, mm-hmm. um, if he came calling to him for an NHL assistant coaching position, would he go? Um, and JF said, you know what, this is this is my 10th year as an AHL coach and sink and sunk into developing players. Um, and he said, you know, I would certainly, you know, if, if a call like that came, of course I would take the call and I would listen to it. He said, but, but really my focus is, is on the Laval rocket and, and developing the players for the Montreal Canadians. Um, yeah, there's a lot of experience there with all of them. Uh, Marco included. Um, and uh, I, I think that's just if if I would like to see that coaching staff stay together, because I think the the influx of prospects that are about to come into to Laval this coming season and the following season could really benefit uh, from just soaking up like little sponges, all of the experience and, and advice they can get from a coaching staff that's got such tenure. Um, lastly, J.F. Wool then talked about really next steps for him and what the offseason is going to look like and that, you know, it's a short offseason for him as, as going to, to almost the end of June and said there's a lot of work to do. Um, you know, some wondered, you know, it's I'm sure it was a little awkward at times maybe for for J.F. Wool midseason when suddenly, um, you know, the guy who hired him was fired in Mark Bergevin, uh, Scott Mellenby gone uh then dom ducharme gets uh gets canned as well so there's there's a lot of new names and faces in a lot of prominent roles at the nhl level above him and so uh you know there were a lot of questions i think as to whether or not you know how hands-on were the those new people going to be how hands-on have they been uh what's you know what's that new working relationship going to be like and apparently that's that's really a, a big top priority for jfl in this offseason well it changes a little bit because it's a change of regime so it's it's a uh, well i i got hired by uh mark bergevin and uh scott Mellenby. so now you know for me i gotta get to know uh you know kent and, and jeff and try to uh to uh, meet with Martin Saint Louis and see the way he wants to play, and have some meetings with uh, with with him and uh, and see like what what's the plan for the future of uh, the Laval Rocket. And uh, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to uh, to get to know those people and work with them, and uh, and formulate a plan for uh, for the upcoming season. Um, so for for many um, uh, Canadians fans, uh, the firing of Mark Bergevin was a long time ago, um, and and um, Jeff Gordon coming in in at the end of November, and and then Ken Hughes, and then Marty Saint Louis. Um, but yes, with with the departure of Bergevin, with the departure of Mellenby, Mellenby was the um, uh, right hand person of Bergevin who oversaw Laval, um, and that was removed. Now, when Jeff Gorton comes in, he's got a lot to do um, in in bringing in a, a general manager, and then with uh, together with Kent Hughes, they have to hire a, a, a coach because Ducharme isn't working out. Uh, they and then there's draft things, there's player issues. 
they got a lot on their plate. And um, what seems to have happened, and actually what I had kind of predicted had happened, is that that intermediary, I'm sure there was, hello, who are you? Uh, but the direction was missing uh, for Laval. But with the experience on the bench, uh, they were kind of left to their own devices. And and so, um, yeah, they 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 put out their own plan. They they developed their own plan. And we saw that that led to uh, an over-reliance on veterans uh, as the season got later and later and later. That's not going to happen anymore. And so now... Um, it's like starting afresh. It's, it's, uh, uh, Jeff Wool is going to have to meet with, with, uh, you know, uh, Gordon and Hughes and St. Louis. And how would you like to play? How would you like me to, to, uh, develop the prospects that you're, you're going to be sending to Laval? It's kind of starting all over again, or, uh, and I'm not suggesting this is happening, but it's certainly a possibility. Uh, Jeff Wool, and his group are not uh, choices of uh, the new regime. So will there be a, you know, rather than how can we work together and work differently, it might be, well, should we find somebody else uh, that we're more comfortable working with? Uh, there's a lot up in the air uh, this summer, and, um, and it, may, it may not only be with the Laval roster that undergoes uh, change, um, at the very least, there's going to be that um, assistant general manager or, or specifically a general manager uh, focused on Laval that's going to be in place. And then that decision whether to retain um, some or all of the, the coaching staff. It's going to be interesting, mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> uh, I think it's safe to say, and we've kind of been expecting this, but it's, it you know, we don't want it to be a shock to the system for fans either when when the roster that comes back together for the Laval Rocket in the fall looks completely different and is much more prospect heavy. Uh, and as you say, there's always the possibility, since this is the, su- the first summer after a full regime change, uh, will there be a coaching shakeup or not? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, we, and that's just it. None of us know. Um, it's very possible that all the coaches are back in place, uh, particularly after the run that they went on this year and, and their willingness to work with with the new uh, the new front office guys. Uh, but they could also have their own ideas. So what we can guarantee is that we'll have our coverage of it all summer long. Uh, we're not going anywhere. The press zone will be here every Tuesday, uh, of course, bringing you all the latest news on the prospects. There's lots of prospect stuff that's coming up. Uh, the draft is just around the corner. Uh, we've got a, a, a postponed World Juniors tournament to to uh, look after uh, later this summer as well. Uh, free agency. Then we're going to see, you know, what signings are made, uh, both by by Montreal that affect the AHL, and then as the summer wears on, you will start to see some AHL contracts coming in and so forth. So, lots to keep uh, our fingers on the pulse of. It was a, a pretty positive exit day inter- exit and ex- excuse me, exit interview day for the Laval Rocket last week as they start their off season. Uh, but lots more to come uh, throughout the summer. Let me let me toss in another wrinkle for folks to think sure. about. Just to muse about. And and listen, we're, we're happy to hear your opinions. Yeah. Um, we know that Luke Richardson has made it to the second interview stage well, with the Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> yeah. Luke Richardson, we talked about how inexperienced the Montreal Canadiens coaching staff is. 
Luke Richardson, the most experienced uh, member of an inexperienced uh, coaching staff. Mm -hmm. If Luke Richardson moves on uh, to Chicago and, and there's all this experience, uh, there's a position open and there's all this experience in Laval, does that create an opening for one of those um, one of those folks to get uh, an opportunity in the NHL. Oh boy. You really did throw another wrinkle in there, didn't you? Well, you know, it's fun. <laughs> Very fun to think about. Who knows? Uh, but it's going to be exciting to watch it all unravel and and roll out. All right, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, on the other side, we are going to take a look at how the Calder Cup final is, uh, is going. They're two games in. We've got some news from the Coachella Valley Firebirds, the newest AHL franchise, which will debut this fall. They've got their first head coach, and it is a name that you know. Trust me. Um, And uh, we had a very, very good interview with uh, a pretty, pretty knowledgeable guy when it comes to draft, uh, the draft and prospects uh, that we want to make sure that you didn't miss out on. So uh, we will get to all of that right after this quick commercial break. Stay with us. You're listening to the Press Zone podcast right here on Rocket Sports Radio. Hockey fans, the pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Are you looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? Well, with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And welcome back to the Press Zone right here on the AHL Report and Rocket Sports Media. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us again today. I'm your host, Amy Johnson, joined by my co-host, Rick Stevens. Uh, If you are not already doing so, wouldn't you please subscribe to this podcast? If you're enjoying uh, the coverage that we bring you each and every week, just hit that subscribe button. Hit the share button as well. That's that's really the best way that you can help us out. If you like the show, uh, just share it with on your social media platforms with your with your friends and followers. Uh, and also be sure you're following us on Twitter at the AHL Report and also at the Press Zone. Um, now, even though Laval's season is over, there are still two teams left standing facing off against one another in the Calder Cup final. That is, of course, the Springfield Thunderbirds, and they are facing off against the Chicago Wolves, who seem to always be a perennial kind of team to beat. Um, and so far, Rick, uh, the, the series started in Chicago, games one and two. It's another 2-3-2. Two, two. Uh, first two games played in Chicago, and... Believe it or not, uh, this series is tied 1-1. Springfield coming out with a 
maybe uh, astounding uh, game one victory. And then, well, things kind of went completely the other direction for game two. Yeah, it was uh, game one. Um, uh, it was something that uh, Springfield uh, found themselves behind in the third period. Um, maybe not a surprise. Chicago strong, very strong at home. Um, and then um, Springfield scores twice in the third period, scores in overtime, uh, and they accomplished uh, what they they set out to do, winning a game on the road, uh, snatched away uh, home ice advantage, um, and uh, Chicago seemed a little surprised by by it all, um, and and let's uh, let's again extend congratulations to uh, Charlie Lindgren who was who was really strong in that game uh, for Springfield, uh, but then it was game two and uh, Chicago said you know enough of that <laughs> enough um, and they they came out scored four goals in the first period um, and uh, yeah it, it was but for some some uh, penalty trouble by Chicago and some questionable calls um, uh, the, the score I think is a bit flattering uh, it ended up as a, a 6-2 final that's probably flatters uh, Springfield Oh yeah, <laughs> because it wasn't. There was it. it just uh, there was no Springfield in it. I mean, Chicago was absolutely routing them in game two. Uh, they managed to to get back in it, and uh, we saw um, apparently uh, post game uh, head coach Ryan Warsawski from Chicago uh, having some harsh words for the officiating, which uh, has been. Oh, inconsistent is a is a is a polite way of putting it throughout this uh, Calder Cup postseason. Uh, so he had some harsh words uh, for for the officiating, um, and sure enough, uh, that that did help Springfield kind of try to to start to get back into it. But but uh, Chicago had put enough of a a foothold on that win that there was no coming back from it. So. And for those wondering, uh, it was Charlie Lindgren that got the win for Springfield in Game 1. Uh, Charlie Lindgren against Alex Lyon, the two veteran uh, goaltenders. Then it was the youngsters in uh, Game 2 for both teams. Um, uh, Joel Hofer for Springfield, who allowed those six goals, and Kochka for uh, Chicago. So we'll see if this is going to be, if uh, the two teams will continue to swap um, and and change their goaltenders and whether it continues to be a, a veteran versus veteran and then uh, prospect versus prospect uh, throughout. Absolutely. it's it, it promises to be an exciting series. Now it comes to Springfield for the next three games, so we'll have to see how it all works out. Uh, the AHL's newest franchise, the Coachella Valley, uh, Coachella Valley Firebirds, uh, who will debut this coming season, uh, the AHL affiliate of the Seattle Kraken, uh, they have announced their first head coach of the franchise. It is none other than Dan Bilesma. I believe, Rick, when you heard the announcement today, you uh, you said, uh, "Wow, that's that's quite a catch for for Coachella Valley." <laughs> it is, and um, there's an awful lot of experienced coaches on the coaching carousel uh, this summer, and that includes uh, their avail- availability to the AHL. I think it was our dear friend Patrick Williams that said this is only the second time a coach who's won a who returns to the AHL from the NHL after winning a Jack Adams award. 
Uh, so Coachella Valley got a pretty experienced coach in Bilesma, a very accomplished coach in Dan Bilesma. Absolutely. Now, this past year, Bilesma served as an assistant coach with the Charlotte Checkers. Um, keep in mind, that was a shared affiliation in Charlotte between the Kraken and the Florida Parents. Panthers. So this is essentially now a promotion uh, for him. And uh, before that, he, of course, was an assistant with uh, the Detroit Red Wings for a few seasons and then lots of head coaching experience in the NHL with Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Um, So uh, as you say, a lot of experience there. Let me tell you, (laughs) everybody just take a sit up and take notice. Um, Whoever the roster is comprised of uh, for the Seattle Kraken's AHL affiliate, you know they are going to be coached well. Uh, with Dan Bilesmo behind the bench. So that's pretty exciting to uh, to see unfold. Um, as the draft is getting closer and closer, we want to get you all set for that big first overall pick for the Montreal Canadiens. And so this past week on the Canadians Connection podcast, uh, hosted by Rick Stevens and Michael Spinella, I was uh, honored to get to join uh, you, Rick, for the second segment of that show. And we had a terrific interview with none other than sport. Snet's own draft analyst, Sam Costantino. And boy, what a terrific interview uh, he gave. There's Sam's the best. Um, Sam's experience, um, his insight into uh, draft prospects and the CHL are unparalleled. And, and, um, and, and he brings a kind of common sense approach. Um, he had a lot of opinions about what's going to happen in this upcoming draft. Um, we asked the, the question about uh, the folks who are the three folks who are at the uh, the top of the, the draft rankings. Um, and and uh, and Sam uh, provided uh, some background on each of them. He also gave us a couple of anecdotes about uh, the draft combine that uh, proved very interesting yes. uh, and amusing. But uh, if you're sitting back and wondering who should the Canadians pick, is it Shane Wright? Is it Yuri Slavkowski? Is, is it Logan Cooley? You'll want to uh, listen to this episode uh, of the Canadians Connection podcast uh, and uh, particularly that second segment where Sam uh, helps answer those questions for you. Absolutely. And so the way to do that is go to canadiansconnection.fm. And uh, it's right there at the top of the page, the most recent podcast. Uh, Why don't you hit subscribe while you're there as well? Uh, You know, Canadians Connection comes out every Saturday. The Press Zone comes out every Tuesday. This gives you constant Canadians news and updates, uh, no matter which one you're listening to throughout the week. Uh, And we certainly hope you enjoy that interview with Sam. Uh, We will, as I said, uh, we all of our Rocket Sports media platforms will continue to be uh, active all throughout the summer. Uh, If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, go to youtube.com slash allhabs. I'll have another episode of the Habs Hockey Report show on our YouTube channel uh, this Thursday, always bringing you uh, the latest in the Canadians and Laval news. Lots of fan interaction. Um, looking forward to reading some some answers to last week's feedback forum question about what's your in honor of Father's Day. The question, of course, was uh, what's your favorite hockey memory with your dad? And so we've got some great uh, viewer responses for that. Check that out. Don't miss it. And uh, Rick, we are going to get all set next week for another great episode of the Press Zone. I can't wait. Absolutely. We can't wait either. Enjoy your week. Happy first day of summer. And we'll see you back here again next Tuesday for another episode of the Press Zone podcast right here on Rocket Sports Radio. Click subscribe to never miss an episode of the Press Zone on Rocket Sports Radio. 
visit AHLReport.com for the latest news on hockey prospects.